Uh, I want you to turn with me if you brought your Bible, and we'll throw it up on the screen. If you don't, to a passage in Luke chapter 7, book of Luke chapter 7, verse 11. We're going to read a story about Jesus here today. And it says this in Luke 7, verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, it says his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. And the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. This is like my kid, you know, right from like right away in the morning, waking up, immediately talking. Little, you know. Jesus raises this kid from the dead, and it says, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, this is an amazing story, and I want to draw some things out here and talk about God's heart for families and the resurrection life that Jesus has for you, even in your darkest place. This village that Jesus is at, it's called Nain. And what that means is pleasant. And you know, I'm here to tell you right now, no matter how bad it looks like in your family, Jesus wants to take the place of what could be your deepest pain, which oftentimes family is the place of our deepest pain, isn't it? Or it's related to that in some way. And Jesus wants to take what was a dark and unpleasant place and turn it into a pleasant place. Name means pleasant. Jesus can do that. Jesus, we see in this story that he has compassion. You know, I don't know what story you've heard about Jesus or about Christianity. Sometimes the church and Christians don't represent Jesus very well because Jesus was marked with great compassion. Maybe you in your life feel like my family's a mess and I've failed and it's broken and I haven't been a good mom or a good dad or a good daughter or a good son. I want to tell you right now that Jesus is not looking at you with judgmental eyes. He's looking at you with the eyes of compassion. And what Jesus wants to do, as he did for this widow who'd already suffered loss of her husband at some point and now has lost her only son. Jesus looked with compassion and what Jesus wants to do as he did for her was to touch the thing that's dead in your life, in your family, that place of pain. Jesus wants to touch it and he wants to bring resurrection life. Jesus wants to touch what's dead in your family. He wants to bring it back to life and he wants to give it back to you. Isn't it beautiful that at the end of the story, Jesus gives this son who this woman had lost, thinking forever. He says, don't cry. He comes over, he touches the coffin, and he gives the son back to his mother. It's a picture of what the Lord wants to do in families. God wants to see reconciliation. God wants to see restoration. God wants to see resurrection life in your family and in my family. This is God's heart for families. Come on, somebody. It's 9 a.m., but we're having church. Come on. What would you do with a second chance? I mean, I want you to think about this lady. Everything is over. This is a funeral procession. This isn't the party. This is the bad thing. This is the bad part of life. And Jesus comes along and changes everything. I'm here to tell you right now, I don't know how bad things have gotten or where they are. Maybe they're not that bad, but wherever you are, Jesus wants to get in, involved in your space and bring resurrection life. He, he gives second chances. And God's heart all through the Bible we see is for families. You know, in the Old Testament, we see God is revealed as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A lot of the Old Testament, all of it actually, is the story of God's interaction with this family 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was Israel. The nation of Israel is the family that God, as they even grew into a nation, it was the family that God was interacting with. God is a God of generations. Did you know that God doesn't just care about you and your life and your job and your purpose and your death? He cares about you, yes, absolutely, but he cares about your kids. He cares about your grandkids. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of generations. God's heart is for families to win. And I believe that one of the missions and the purposes that God has put Joy Church here in the city of Eugene to do, one of the reasons that we are here is to see God get involved with families and see dead situations come back to life. See children that were lost to drug addiction get free and and reconnected with mom and dad. To see young people that are in rebellion come back into a relationship with their parents. To see broken families restored and resurrected. And sometimes the situation is so bad that only God can do anything. But that's what we believe in. We serve Jesus, who is the God of second chances. He wants to come and get involved. This morning, I really felt that I was to give a, a practical teaching, to really give some practical principles for how we are to build our families and really have comeback families. And so here's my contention today as we talk about what Jesus can do is I, I believe that Jesus is a known factor. He's a constant. You know, in, in scientific experimentation, you, you limit the variables, right? When you're doing an experiment. I, w- I was uh, homeschooled, so my scientific experiments were like, you know, digging stuff up in the yard and putting chemicals in and lighting things on fire. That was my science lab. Uh, it was self-guided education. No, I'm just kidding. But I do know enough about science. You have to say science with a British accent, don't you? Uh, science, I say. Good share, bye. Yes. Uh, to, that you limit the variables. Now, assuming that in our, in our experiment with families, that God is always wanting families to win. God is always for you and not against you. What, it, what are the factors that need to change? Us. Our, our thoughts. Our thinking. Our, our behaviors. Our actions. What we do. And my contention for what we need to do as we look at Jesus working in family is, that, is this. To have a first-rate family you have to put it second place to God. For me to have a first-rate family, I have to put it second to God. Now, it's interesting that in our culture, there is more thought and energy and money and resources kind of uh, generated about family and how to have a good family and all these kind of things. There's more of that in this generation than any generation uh, ever throughout history, and yet the, the state of the family is in crisis more than any other time in history. You know, when you, when you hear statistics like 50% of marriages end in divorce, that's a problem. That's not good. You don't want to be standing at the altar like, hey, we got a 50-50 chance, baby. <laughs> you know, those are not the kind of odds that I, that I like. I'm play it safe kind of guy. No, I want better odds. The state of the family is in crisis, but there's so much out there. You can go and, on Facebook, and if you ever search anything about family, there's blogs and articles and do this and don't do that, and there's child psychologists and all these, I mean, there's all kinds of information, and yet people are losing in the area of family. Why? And I believe it's because we don't put God first. There's not a foundation, and I'm going to talk about this today. There's not a, a strong foundation upon which to build your life. Last uh, summer, we did a series called, actually, no, this was in October, a series called Crazy. Remember that? How to Keep It Together When Life Falls Apart. And we looked at the words of Jesus who said, you have to build your life on me. I'm the rock. You know, my contention to us today is that you're never going to have 
a comeback family. Your family's never going to win long term, not be successful, not sustainable success without building it upon the foundation of God, building it on the foundation that, is, that lasts from generation to generation. There was a guy in the Bible in the Old Testament. Some of you are familiar with this story. His name was Joshua. He said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua had the right priority of life. You know, if you put your family first, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit later, but if you say, well, I put family first, and then comes God, you're going to lose both of those things. When you put God first and then family, you're going to see that when God is first, everything else comes under that umbrella of blessing. Everything else comes under that, um, that umbrella of stability when God is number one. Let's just talk about the word priority for a second. How many of you say, these are my priorities? I've got priorities. Do you know that's kind of a silly statement? Because it's actually an oxymoron. How can you have priorities? That you're saying multiple things are the most important. You, you can't have that. You can just have a priority. You can say, these are important things to me, but something is always number one, something's two, something's three. And so we can't say, well, you know, I'm going to put, I've got these priorities. Here's God and my going to church and, and, and raising my kids to be part of Christian community. And then I've got my work priority and I've got my family priority and I have my priorities. No, you have a priority. There's something that you've elevated to number one. And I'm here to tell you today, God needs to occupy that space. And when that happens, God comes in and gets involved and brings success to everything else. Jesus said this, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, put God first and watch what will happen. This is really the root issue of, of the human heart is our problem is that we want to put something else in the first place other than God. And you can apply this message to anything you could talk about addiction. If I put anything other than God in first place, I'm going to have a problem there. I won't get free. Uh, you can put it in the area of even your relationship with Jesus. Any, any topic, any area, it works. But if God is not number one, then everything else will break down beneath that. He is that first fundamental foundation that has to be in place for everything else to fall into place. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek first God. Put God in the first place and watch God do everything that he can do and come in and organize and order things in an appropriate way. The best way to invite God into your situation is to worship him. And you say, well, didn't we just worship him? Yeah, we, we, we sang songs. That's an aspect of worship. But worship really is with our whole being to put God in the number one spot throughout our entire life. Put God first. To have a first-rate family, you must put it second to God. So this morning, I want to share with you three principles, practical principles of how we can elevate God to the first place and how to have a comeback family. Are you good? You with me today? All right. How to have a comeback family. Number one, and we've talked about this a little bit already, but number one is you have to begin to build on the right foundation. Somebody say foundation. How many of you just love foundations? You go on tours and you just look at, oh, look at that foundation. That's so beautiful. No, no, you don't, right? Foundation is, is the dirty part. It's the ugly part. It's the hard part. Built, digging foundations is dirty work, right? My uncle used to own a concrete company, and so he was in the foundation business, and I would do ride-alongs with him, and 
I remember that it was backbreaking labor. I mean, it was exhausting labor to dig foundations to pour concrete. I remember that he'd get concrete burns on his hands, his legs. You ever seen that before? It's pretty nasty, but the concrete, it, it actually, when it dries, it'll suck all the moisture out. It, it, it burns your skin. It's disgusting. That is dirty work. It's hard. It's not fun. Uh, it's, not, it's not glorious. Nobody goes on tours and says, look at all the beautiful foundations. They say, look at the beautiful house. But let me just tell you that without that foundation, that house isn't going to be very beautiful for very long. When I was a teenager, my parents got a really good deal on a house that had foundation trouble. It was on the side of a mountain in Medford, up in the foothills of, Mount, of Roxy Ann. And the house had kind of decided to slide apart at one point. And so my parents got this house for a great deal. And they paid about $100,000 to get the, the house picked up, put back, and then shored up into the bedrock. They had to work on that foundation. So it ended up being a great deal, but it wasn't going to be a great deal if they didn't get that foundation right. Now, let me just tell you right now, in the area of family, whether you have an awesome family or your family is a hot mess, come on, somebody, wherever you're at today, you got to think about foundations and you can't forget about them. You can't, you don't set it, forget it. I know that's kind of how foundation works in a house, but you have to continue to think about foundations. And if, you are, if you're still alive, you have to keep thinking about foundations. If you're raising kids, you've got to think about foundations. If you're in a marriage, you've got to think about foundations. If you want to have kids or you want to get married someday, you've got to think about foundations. Somebody say foundation. foundation. You know, maybe you see the, the problems of your hot mess family, and it's this mountain of problems and you're like, I don't know what to do. Well, I'm here to tell you, we serve a mountain-moving God. Yes. Come on, somebody. We serve a mountain-moving God. But you know, oftentimes we think that God has this magic wand where he waves it and our problems go away. But I want to show you what God's magic wand looks like for your family. It looks a little bit like this. And you got to get involved, come on, digging foundations in your family. See, a lot of times we think, oh, God's got this. I'm going to pray a prayer and and this thing's just going to disappear. My kids are going to obey. No, no, let me, let me tell you. Raising kids sounds like this. Literally, I'm burying my son right now. He was bad <laughs> last night. No, I'm just kidding. Building foundations, digging foundations is about doing the ugly, hard, dirty, day after day, discipline stuff. Come on. It's about waking up every morning and opening the Bible. I don't feel like it, but I do it because I'm raising good kids. I want them to see that we build our life on the rock of the word of God. Come on. I tell my wife that she's beautiful every day. Why? Because that's digging the foundation. I'm, I'm laying the foundation. Come on. I go to work every day. Well, I don't like my job. Make some money. You married that woman. Support her. Come on. You see, you can move a mountain one shovel full at a time, and God wants to teach us the value of foundations. In our culture, we need to understand that it's that hard dirty work. It's that shovel work that's so important to do. You know, I think what, what, what the world needs to see from the church is less of the flash and the show and isn't it glorious? Isn't it beautiful? Listen to my Christianese. They just need to hear that sound of people every day digging their foundations. Come on. Building their life the right way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, Paul, the apostle, he says this. He says, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love are the foundations that we want to build our life upon as we talk about family. Now, wherever you're at, 
Again, is your family a hot mess now? You got to go back to faith, hope, and love. Is your family awesome? Keep working on faith, hope, and love, right? These are the foundations. Faith, what is that? It's a real relationship with Jesus. Commitment to your local church community and commitment to the word of God. And again, I want to ask you, what is your priority? When, when it's Sunday morning, do your kids know what your priority is? Well, we go to church when it's convenient. Then that's not your priority. Now, look, I don't care if you, I want you to come to Joy Church. This is the best. I mean, let's just be honest. But, 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 but maybe this isn't where you're going to be planted. Maybe God called you to go to some other church. But go every week. Because show your children, this is our priority. We are people of God. We go to the community of believers. We aren't, we aren't inconsistent. We are committed. This is our foundation of faith. Every day we read the Bible. What do you mean every day? Because you need it every day. I need it every day. I need to get in God's word. I'm an idiot. When I read the Bible, it helps me to, be, to think a little bit better. Think more like God. It transforms me. Build that foundation of faith. What's your priority? Number two in this, the foundation of hope. Do you speak purpose and destiny into your family? Let me give you this phrase. Do your best to always say yes. One of the things that my, my parents gave to me, uh, uh, which was just a, a tremendous gift, is that they were always about yes. Not yes to stupidity, not yes to sin, but yes to, to destiny. I remember that my dad told me when I was a little kid that the Lord had spoken to him and he was looking at me, a fat little cute chubby candy covered kid, that I was going to play piano and write songs and be a prophetic worshiper like Keith Green. And that the Lord spoke that to my dad. And then when I was like, you know, old enough to kind of just be cognizant, I began to tap, tap pencils in second grade. My second grade teacher called me taps and I started playing the drums. And my dad, he was like, that's not what the Lord said, you know, and I was a drummer for years and years and years. My parents, though, they kept saying yes to that dream. And then eventually, and when I was 13 or 14 years old, I was like, hey, mom, could you show me a few things on the piano? And then from there, I ended up starting to play the piano and and all these and writing songs and I believe uh, you know fulfilling and in, and touching into the destiny that my dad had, had seen for me. But if my parents hadn't said yes to music lessons, if they hadn't said yes to those desires and those dreams, if everything was like no, you know, you're, there's no, you're never gonna, you can't do that, you know, we don't do that, we're we're this, we're not that. If they had 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 a no in their spirit, there'd be no hope and no no environment for the destiny and the dreams of God to be uh, raised up in me. So again, is there hope in your family? Does hope permeate through? Not just hope in Christ, that's our central hope, our foundation of faith, but is there a hopeful atmosphere? Is there a yes in your family or is it always a no? Well, we can't do that. The Smiths, you know, we're, we're, we're drunks and we're losers and we're this. No, speak a better future over your children. Speak a better future to your spouse. Speak something about your offspring and begin to declare a hopeful word. Come on, somebody. Build that foundation of hope. Lastly, in this idea of foundations, and we'll move forward, is this idea of love. And I want to ask you this question. Paul says this is the most important foundation. The most important one. Does the love of Jesus live at your house or just visit from time to time? 
I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. But sometimes our house feels like hell. It shouldn't. It should always feel like heaven. And you go, well, does that, does that mean nothing bad ever happens? No, bad stuff happens. But as a follower of Jesus, you have the right to transform the atmosphere. You have the inheritance of heaven. Come on, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And you can change the atmosphere. You can change the polarity. And your house should feel like heaven. Moms, you know, you do, an, you do a great job of setting the atmosphere of the home. My wife is an amazing mom and she sets the atmosphere of our home. And it's an atmosphere of yes. It's an atmosphere of love. It's an atmosphere of life. It's an atmosphere of delicious food. Come on. <laughs> it, sometimes I, uh, you know, come down from my office or get home from the office and, and walk into the door. And I'm just like, oh yeah, that's what heaven smells like. It smells like Italian flu. Come on. You know, it smells like uh, tacos. It smells good. It feels like heaven. It feels like the love of God. We set the atmosphere. You have the right to change the atmosphere. Does your family have a foundation of love, faith, hope, and love? Build on the right foundation. It's hard. It's hard work. But God is there. He'll meet you in that moment. Amen? Number two, the second thing we need to do in our families is we need to face the funk. I got a picture up here for you. Face the funk. You say, what are you talking about? What's that mean? Well, every family has something like that going on. And I don't care who you are, right? Maybe you walk into church high on the hog, coming in, we're perfect, you know? No, you're not. There's something funky going on in your family. Maybe you're coming in down on, in the dirt, and you look at that, and you go, yeah, I'm married to that. You know, that's, my, that's a, that's, oh, and they're thinking the same thing about you, so, you know. But there's something funky in your family. There's a conversation that you need to have. There, there's, a, there's something that needs to get addressed. There's something that needs to get dealt with. You need to stop putting lipstick on that pig and start dealing with that thing. If there's something that you go, oh, I'm just living with it. Oh, I'm just living with it. You need to deal with it. Well, I'm just living with it. No, if you're coping, you're losing. If you're, if you're just coasting through and you're not dealing with the funk, you're not facing the funk, that funky thing. You know what I mean by funk? It's a bad situation. My husband drinks a little bit too much. And when he gets a little bit too much of that action going on, he starts to be pretty mean. And that's funky. You know, my wife, you know, maybe you're in a situation and you, as a husband and a wife where you don't have intimacy in your communication, your relationship, or physical intimacy, and you're just letting that thing go and you're living with it, you need to deal with it. You need to face the funk. You see, we need to not be afraid to deal with what's funky in our life by the power of God. And a lot of times, remember, it's about foundations. Sometimes you have something funky going on because you didn't build the foundation. But as you go in and you say, by the power of God, I'm going to start building those foundations. I'm going to start digging them out then we're going to deal with what's funky. We're not going to let there be uh, this empty spot underneath where a foundation needs to go. We need to make that ground ready to have a nice strong foundation. We need to deal with what's wrong. We need to face the funk. Don't live with it. Deal with it. I want to pray for you this morning that you have courage to deal with what's wrong in your life. Now, I don't care if you've been a follower of Jesus for 40 years. There is something funky in your life. All of us have something funky in our family that we need to deal with. 
It might be a small pig with lipstick on it, or it might be a big old prize-winning hog. (laughs) Whatever it is, though, let me just tell you right now, you serve the God of second chances. Jesus wants to bring resurrection life. Do not be afraid. Have courage and deal with what's funky. Now you go, hey, I, I don't have a family. I'm not married. I don't have kids. How is this applicable to me? You got roommates. There's probably something funky going on. You need to deal with it. A communication breakdown. Maybe you just go to school. Maybe, maybe you're not part of a family. You're just kind of living alone. You've got coworkers. Face the funk. We, as followers of Jesus, need to be bringers of salt and light into the world. Light lights up the darkness. Salt cleanses the wounds, right? It scours. It, it, it purifies and sanctifies. That We need to have that kind of a, a ministry. Not being a jerk. I'm not talking about that. But dealing with the problem. Face the funk in your family. Number three. I want to encourage you to eat more fruit. How many of you love fruit? Love fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 23, it says, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I want to ask you, what kind of fruit do you feed your family? You know, as a follower of Jesus, when you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in you, does the fruit that comes out of your life in private match the fruit that you try to show other people in public? And I think it's interesting because we often say, times say the fruits of the spirit. It's not. It's the fruit of the spirit, meaning that when the Holy Spirit is actually activated and alive and at work in your heart, you will produce all of this fruit, not, not some of it. See, you can't work on, well, I'm going to be more gentle. You, you can, but ultimately you have to change that root and then the fruit changes. When the Holy Spirit is allowed to have control of your life, again, what's my priority? Is it God or is it something else? When God's the priority and the Holy Spirit begins to work, you get all the fruit, all the fruit. <clears throat> what kind of fruit do you feed your family? You know, some people, they produce the fruit of the Spirit at church and they produce the grapes of wrath at home. I want to ask you this question. Does your private expression of Christ match up with your public confession of Christ? Does your private expression of Christ, moms loving little kids, my wife and I, we have little kids right now, so we're in that phase of life, tempted to murder every day. Six years old, Three, no, I'm sorry, that's not our kids. Five years old, thanks, my wife's like, you idiot, what are you doing? (laughs) Five years old, three years old, almost two. We have little kids, and and they're frustrating sometimes. They they knock things over, they spill, they pee off the side of the toilet. I mean, and you know, it's a challenge to, 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 to let the private expression of Jesus match the public confession of Jesus. It's easy to preach a sermon. It's hard to love a kid who just peed on the wall but the fruit of the Spirit. What kind of fruit am I feeding my family? There was a, a story that Bethany had heard, and we talked about this, that a pastor's wife one day was just ripping into her kids, yelling at them, you guys, you know, really going after it. And the, the Lord just stopped her and spoke to her in that moment and pressed upon her and said, why are you so mean to your kids at home when you're so nice to the people at church? And just kind of arrested her, her momentum there, uh, stopped her in her tracks. 
Isn't it easier to be a Christian with people that you don't have to live with? Isn't it easier to be a Christian at church? And man, I love Jesus so much more when there's free donuts. I'm just telling you right now. You know, when everybody's got on their Sunday best and it's all smiles and no, but when you get in and then you're, you're with your wife and you've had marriage trouble and you're facing the funk and you're building foundations, but that is the moment. That's where the real Christian stands up. That's where the real spirit uh, work is occurring. Church isn't where you come to meet God. You know, I think a lot of Christians think, well, I go to church on Sundays to meet God. No, church is where you, you come and we celebrate and worship together. Do we meet God here? Yes, but the point of it is that we would we would be filled with the Spirit all through the week, and we would be living out our faith every day. Come on. In ministry, raising disciples, making disciples, uh, that we would be loving our families and building great uh, uh, careers and jobs and, and raising great kids. I mean, all these kind of things is where the real, it's where the rubber meets the road. So don't have the, I'd rather you have bring the grapes of wrath here and have the fruit of the Spirit at home. So that'd be a little bit more like Jesus than the other way around. The other way around is mask wearing and hypocrisy, isn't it? And I'm guilty of it. I'm not saying that I'm not. But I want my private expression of Christ, my marriage and my kids, with the people that are my family, those close relationships, I want it to match that public confession of Christ. When your family looks in your eyes, husbands and wives, sons, brothers and sisters, daughters, when your family looks in your eyes, do they see Jesus looking back? Is there mercy and grace and compassion and love? Do they see Jesus looking back? Because that is how a family comes back. That is how a family really, really wins. It's what putting God first does. The incredible thing about putting God first is we think, oh, I've made this great sacrifice and I put God first. The reality is when you put God first, God gives you so much more than you could ever imagine. I'll finish with this story. In the Old Testament, there was a man named David and David was a king and David had a tremendous heart for God. And David was known as a worshiper. He would dance and sing and worship and write songs. And at one point, David had begun to amass all this great wealth and he gathered all the people and they began to store up all this treasure. And he said, God, I have a heart for your house God, I want to build you a beautiful temple. God, your, your presence is dwelling in a tent. God was camping and David said, I want to build you a beautiful house. And he had all this treasure stored up and God looked at his heart that put God first. And God said, David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And God said, you will not lack a son to sit upon the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I'll tell you that in the line of King David is a, is a person that we know as Jesus Christ, who sits upon the throne forever and forever and forever and forever. And so because of David's heart for God, his descendants, God built his house. God built his house because David had a heart for God's house. God built David a house you don't lose when you put God first. You lose when you put God in any other place but first. To really have a first-rate family, you got to put a second to God. And you say, are you saying don't think about family? No, put your fa make your family an important, on that list, it's an important thing. But realize that if God is not number one, even having family at that level, it's going to fail. 
But as we conclude today, the same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Can I pray for you, all the moms and dads and everybody in this area of family, that this word would really penetrate your heart and, and uh, you could take it this week and, and just see God work in your family. He wants your family to win. I want to give you hope this morning that it's not over, that marriage isn't over, that kid's not lost, things can change. Put God first and see what he'll do in your life. Amen? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for this great group of people. Thank you for this amazing day that you've made. We rejoice and are glad in it. And Lord, I pray specifically right now for every family represented here today, even those in our families that aren't sitting here, God, maybe some that really need to be sitting here. Lord, I just pray for a new sense of hope and a fresh expectation that as we begin to put you first and we lay those foundations of faith, hope, and love and we face the funk and we we get focused on getting the fruit of the Spirit working at home, just putting you first in every way. Lord, I pray that we would begin to see resurrection life, even as you worked in that widow's life and as the funeral procession was going by and everybody else said, it's over. Jesus, you stepped in and it was not over. And today I speak that word over every family here, whether the family's going great or it is down in the dumps. Lord, that you are not finished. You want families to win. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of generations. Lord, we speak life. We speak resurrection into every family here today. Bless the moms and dads. Bless the sons and daughters. Bless brothers and sisters. I pray for reconciliation, restoration, and resurrection life in families. That this place would be marked as a place where families come to win. Where families are built upon the rock of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.